the driving factor for the adult use legalization for Maryland was purely it wasn't a tax grab. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was strictly about how do we create generational wealth for impoverished communities. That that was Governor West Moore's big part of his, his campaign push, as well as we have a, a um, Speaker Jones, Speaker of the House for the state of Maryland. That was their big push was to try to raise up these communities that they felt like were left behind in the first wave of, of cannabis licenses. Strange agendas these politicians, they do have. I think, I, I think Yoda said that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about the black market and the gray market, the illicit market. Another episode of Media Unshackled here at MJ BizCon 2023. We're here with Jonathan, Drew, and Michael from Maryland. We have done California. We have done New York. We have done Alabama. Alabama will go my mind. I didn't know a freaking thing about Alabama until today. <laughs> I am so excited to continue with this project. I am learning so much, and I'm glad to share it with the audience out there. MJ BizCon is fantastic, and you'll be seeing this after MJ BizCon. We encourage you to come next year. But now I'm going to introduce you to the guys that I'm just going to refer to as my go-to guys from Maryland now. If I'm going to do business in Maryland, I'm going to call the three of you first. And if you guys don't want to take me as a client or help me out, I hope you guys will guide me to somebody else. But let's talk about first about who you are, and then we're going to talk about where Maryland's at. Medicinal, adult use, market structures, supply chain structure, ins and outs, number of licenses, those basics kind of stuff, and your experience here as well. So who wants to go first? Okay, uh, Michael Bronfein from Curio Wellness. Uh, Curio Wellness, I like that. Uh, we, we have the distinction of actually opening the market in 2017. We shipped the first product on December 1st. We're about to come up to our six week. Let me get a little closer. And, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, we've seen the market since the beginning. Um, the first thing I would say is, uh, I have to give the administration in Maryland a lot of credit. They actually started on time for per the law, unlike New York or some other places, which have seen a lot of dysfunctions from not doing that. That said, there's still a lot that has to be done. And, and um, uh, you know, we're, we're working collaboratively to, to improve the administration and, and help make sure that the material increase in volume that we've seen uh, leads to... The, the things that we think the consumer should get. So you've been involved in the cannabis industry in Maryland since 2017? No, I've been involved in it since 2014. But we, but by the time the licensing process, building out our facility, we're a vertically integrated operator um, and um, flower, manufactured products, and retail. Okay, so uh, when did Maryland go medicinal? Went medicinal in 2016. Uh, and then we opened in 17. In 2017, okay. Yeah. But the, the, the law passed in 14. 14. So it took a couple of years there for them to get stuff, very slow. Get stuff together. Um, okay. Almost didn't have a program at all. Right. So, so, uh, so right now you have one dispensary, you said? No, we have two dispensaries. We actually are, are buying two more. So we'll have the maximum of four okay. in 2024 that you can have. Okay, and you have a processing center? Yeah, we, we have the largest indoor grow in the state. Ooh. Andrew has the largest uh, greenhouse in the state, so you're talking to the Damn. two largest producers it's in the state. It's about 40% of the market share right here in Maryland. And, uh, and yeah. um, we, we are the market leader in manufactured products by a pretty big amount. You know, i, I got to give a shout-out to Larissa, our producer, for finding you guys, because this is great. I don't know how you guys ended up here on our show, but I'm so excited by the quality of the characters that we're getting here today. This is incredible. You guys are like the two guys to know in Maryland, and you're sitting here with me, and I'm going to get to know more about Maryland and your operations through you. 
Why don't we come back to Maryland and talk about a little more of the history of Maryland, but let's first talk about you and your involvement in cannabis. Yeah, so I've been in the cannabis space in, in the Maryland industry for since 2017. Right. I've bounced around a little bit. I spent the last two and a half years helping uh, SUMED growers, which, as he mentioned, is the largest uh, greenhouse facility <laughs> in the state, get their processing division up and running and products on the market. And so we just uh, finished our 25,000-square-foot uh, CGMP kitchen, so we're getting our edibles division up and running right now. So in Maryland, you don't need a separate, uh, well, it's all vertical, right? So you don't need a separate processing? All the licenses exist independently. So you have a cultivation license separate from a processing license, separate from dispensary licenses. <clears throat> there are quite a few operators that are vertical, okay. um, Michael being one of them. Uh, at Summit, we are a manufacturer only. We don't have a retail foothold at all. Right, but you said you finished getting the processing center done at the cultivation. So is that two so separate licenses? So they acquired licenses? a processing license that gave them the ability to then start making their own products instead of just selling biomass to existing processors in the state. Just a dumb little nuance, but they can be geographically located at the same place, the processing cultivation? Correct. Could yep. you in theory? Or separately. So, or separately. Or His separate. are yeah. separate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a, a, a large manufacturing plant about 10 minutes from our cultivation facility. Right. We're, we're a little more remote, so we had 70 acres, so we were able to build from scratch on site. Okay, and let's, we'll get back into more Maryland. I also want to know a little bit later if you guys are interested in having brands that are looking to migrate into Maryland come talk to you guys. But first I want to think about that because yeah. I got a lot of brands that are constantly looking for homes and partnerships across state lines. We're definitely the two guys that are in that it, it realm. It sounds so, like I, yeah. found, I found another resource. This yeah. is good. That's what I do for business. But this all media thing is a not-for-profit. It's a it's an educational thing. We're trying to help people understand you know, what is happening in Maryland, what is happening state by state and other jurisdictions, international jurisdictions as well. Who are some of the points of contact, et cetera, et cetera. So in that, they meet people and they learn and all that kind of stuff. So that's, this is all my give back, but my business is actually connecting those dots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just let you know. So go ahead. So tell us about yourself now. I'm John Wax. I am the founder and leader of Arthur Kerman's Cannabis Practice. We're a law firm, 300 attorneys in 19 offices in nine states. Uh, I've been involved in the cannabis industry since 2016. We represent growers and processors and dispensaries and lenders and landlords and tenants and software companies and testing companies. So while I don't have uh, my hands dirty the same way that these guys do, I, I am pretty familiar with the industry as well. Your hands will get clean. Your nails, it takes a while to get clean. Because my grandma was a farmer in yeah. Mexico, and I'd go back to the village in Oaxaca, and her fingernails would always be dirty. Because you know when you're out there in the dirt all day long, let me check your fingernails. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. So you're working not just in Maryland, but other states? Yes. Yes. We're best known in the Mid-Atlantic, but we have offices from New York to South Carolina and also now in California. What's the Mid-Atlantic? Mid-Atlantic, at least for us, is uh, Maryland, Delaware. Uh, we're in New Jersey. We're in Pennsylvania. We're in Virginia. We're in D.C. You know why I don't know that? Because I'm a Pac-12 guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That is exactly. I'm like, I, I just got just that. Just think of the we're, ACC. We're ACC guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just got that right now. Yeah. So you're, you're representing all these individuals. So what? tell us what you think about Maryland and its development. I think Maryland is uh, a leading example of why we should have a limited license program. They've done an excellent job of trying to promote diversity in the industry. Uh, there have been some outstanding examples uh, like these two companies for uh, how to do things right. And I think that people are willing to learn and share information. And I think that the uh, what was the MMCC, the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission, now the Maryland Cannabis Administration, 
is doing a nice job of uh, taking feedback from, from others and, and working hard to not only stay on schedule, but to improve the program. So how many medicinal licenses exist in pre-adult use? And were they grandfathered in? Can we talk a little bit more about that? Do well, you know? th there, were, there were originally 15 cultivators, 15 processors, and 102 dispensaries. Okay. Okay. Uh, some uh, seven more. Seven, I love that. Two seven, per senatorial district right, right, dispensary, right. so it's yeah. well right. spread out. So, 102, 15, 15. Right. And you then, guys were one and one over here. Yeah, I was one of the original seven verticals. There were seven of the 15 cultivators that were also cultivators, processors, and, and retailers. But we were one of them. Um, SunMed was a, just a cultivator and now has both. Um, and some of that movement's gone along. Um, a second phase of, uh, I think it was 12 processors and seven um, more cultivators was passed a few years later. Regrettably, only two of those ever opened up because we don't need any more capacity in Maryland. Uh, we have way, way more product, even after adult use. So we went from, you know, 150,000 Marylanders who were medical patients, or 165, to four and a half million adults right. with that subset in it. And there's no product shortages anywhere of any kind. So, you know, the, the challenge is that we're, there's a desire to give out a whole bunch of licenses, but where are those people going to go to get customers? He's not giving his up, I can tell you that, and I'm not giving mine up, right? Right. I know he's not giving his up. I'm a little nicer, so I don't give <laughs> some of them up. But, but the truth is that, you know, we've invested tens of millions of dollars to build first-class operations that produce really high-quality products. And, you know, uh, anyone coming into the market now has to either be highly differentiated, have a big balance sheet, um, and know exactly what they're doing, or the probability of them succeeding is very, very small. And it's unfortunate, but that's where the world is. You know, there just isn't the opportunity that people think in cannabis today in a lot of markets. You know what? I hear you. I hear you. But I like hopes and dreams. That's, hey, you know look, as long and as it's your money and not mine, I hope all you like. And I like <laughs> failure, too. I like people's right to fail. You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of a free market Adam Smith kind of guy myself. So and am this, I. This is an ongoing debate and discussion and evolution, market structure, uh, state to state market structure to market structure, right. medicinal traveling. There's so many questions, yeah. economic questions. This is what I love. I went to UA Law School. I was an economics guy in Boston University. So my favorite thing about the cannabis industry is this is the unraveling and creation of all these different nuances and stuff. So we don't know what's right. We don't know what's best. There's a lot of subjective stuff, interpretations, opinions, etc. I think there's space, though, for like the micro licenses where it's not as much capital right. needed up front. Right. You know, to Michael's point, right? Like, we literally have invested tens of millions of dollars for somebody to come to market. It doesn't make sense for you to make the type of investment right. given where the market is. The micro licenses, new dispensary licenses, consumption lounges, uh, delivery licenses, that gives people from impoverished communities the opportunity to create generational wealth without a ton of capital needed on the front end. I think Luxembourg was a micro license. Do <laughs> <laughs> any of you guys catch the depth of that joke? <laughs> that was like... Sorry. Anyways, I love I love that I love the making the principality connection and the because those principalities and things that we left behind in Europe were really uh, government structures set up systems set up to control the commodities and goods and the licensing. It was a giant licensing structure, mm -hmm. you know, saying where it was owned by royal families, et cetera, with certain bloodlines, and you know, we kind of ran from that and created America where you know people rise up and survive and fail 
waste their mother's money or whatever they're going to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't like people wasting their money. Yeah. And I don't like the government providing a promise that is false. Right. And that's what, I, that's what bothers me because... That's a good point. Because... If there's no real economic opportunity, and with all due respect, economics are economics. The laws of economics are axiomatic at this point. Uh, I don't think there's anything that, about supply and demand that economists don't really understand. And so if there's just way too much supply and not enough demand, prices go down. Right. Margins go down. And if you're small and undercapitalized, which a lot of uh, younger companies in this industry are, because it's very hard to raise capital, there's no bank financing. I mean... I don't understand how you create a formula of success. If you can, I, great, but I just don't see it. No, it's, it's easy for me to pontificate from the sidelines, but you guys are actually investing your capital on the front line, so, you know, I understand your perspective. Yeah. And stuff. We can have a really good discussion about that all day long, but I do want to talk about Maryland. When the law was written, from transition from medicinal to adult use, did they consult with you guys about... Did anybody, no. the, the drafters, was it a legislative or initiative? We thought they were going to, but the, um, the uh, legislation and the legislators kind of went in a back room, decided what they wanted, and shoved it down our throats. Were you just kind of hoping grandfather's in, grandfather's in? Well, we weren't <laughs> hoping. We, 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 were, we were doing more than hoping, but we were lobbying pretty hard. Okay. But the truth is, uh, if they didn't grandfather in, in any state, forget Maryland, in any state, right. the existing infrastructure and systems, it'd be years before there'd be adult use. 100%, and all that tax money that, that, the, that the, you know, the legislators want to get their hands on wouldn't be there. So as a practical matter, they want to get it done. Also, yeah. if they grandfather us in, it creates this opportunity for the, the legacy market to come to fruition. Yeah. Legal shops pop open up all over the place. This gave us the ability to at least create an opportunity for new licensed businesses to actually have a market to develop market share. And, and look I, at states like New York where it's a disaster. It's a mess. Yeah. And, and I assume it, 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 it happened that way. I was just asking to verify because mm -hmm. I was involved in the early fights in Arizona as to how you transition the medicinal uh, regulatory environment into an adult use regulatory environment. Mm -hmm. And the initiatives were still being written by the MPP out of D.C. And we went to war on them and with them and the certain aspects of that we thought we should control this. And they thought that a new, a new supply chain should be created, and they weren't really thinking about the real pragmatic issues, which are absolutely true. But they were more concerned about creating 6,000 more licenses, so they unraveled this limited licensing thing that they inadvertently created as a, as a, as a gift to the fuddy-duddies who hate cannabis. Because the only reason we have limited licensing was because the MPP, when they first initiatives that they pushed through, they said, well, we don't want to fight that battle where people are going to be saying that there's a dispensary on every state. And so they said, well, let's put in there that there will only be a certain number of licenses on, in our initiatives. So it creates a perception that it's not going to be everywhere like Circle K's or Wal Walgreens, <coughs> et cetera. And that, but that has nothing to do with manufacturing and cultivation from an economic, from even a public policy perspective. There's no logical sense as to why there should be limited licensing and manufacturing and cultivation if you look at it from uh, we're just trying to legalize perspective. It, didn't, it shouldn't really matter. But it did make sense to put in limited numbers of retails, but the whole thing got jumbled up and then, you know, then we ended up with Colorado and all this stuff and we kind of got in a fight with them when it came to Arizona. So it's fascinating to see how, you know, Maryland ha has evolved. So after they grandfathered in all you guys, they decided to issue how many more licenses in Maryland? How does that work? There, there's 26 uh, cultivation, 26 uh, processor and 75 retail stores. There will be 75. Yeah. 
And, and they're still issuing them right now? Well, they're, they're just beginning in the, the process. That'll be the first so wave. So a 30-day application process, and the application window uh, closes on December 12th. So in order to be eligible to file an application, you have to first be registered as a social equity applicant. So they're only so social equity people are the only ones that can get them? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's the first wave. So my understanding is there'll be another wave that'll be more open. It won't just be social equity applicants. There could correct? be, but it yeah. doesn't necessarily have to happen that way. Yeah. There could be a second round. Um, the state will have to do a market impact study to see how many of the social equity <clears throat> applicants from the first round are actually operational and the effect that those new licenses have on the market. Yeah. Uh, I love this industry. Um, so, so no regular citizens can apply. You have to be a social equity person. In this round. In this round. In this round. Yeah. And the next round will be based on economic demand. So they'll have to do a demand study, find out if there's actually a need. If they did one today, the answer would be zero. There is no need. Right. Um, the driving factor for the adult use legalization for Maryland was purely, it wasn't a tax grab. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was strictly about how do we create generational wealth for impoverished communities. That, that was Governor Wes Moore's big part of his campaign push as well as we have a, a, um, Speaker Jones, Speaker of the House for the state of Maryland. That was their big push, was to try to raise up these communities that they felt like were left behind in the first wave of, of cannabis licenses. Strange agendas these politicians, they do have. I think, I, I think Yoda said that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about the black market and the gray market, the illicit market. And in that tone, let's talk, and I don't want you to comment on this, a little bit about civil versus criminal sanctions and what's happening in Maryland in regards to that. Is there a big problem with the illicit market? I mean, we can talk about taxes being too high, too low. Uh, I, I don't really know much about the illicit market. I focus on the legal market and the it's consumer. Hard to tell, yeah. Uh, but I think that one of the things that the state did well was they found that equilibrium in the tax rate where it's high enough to make it attractive to the state and low enough to say, I'd rather have tested, safe product because I'm only paying a 9% premium for it. So there's a 9% premium yeah. on that. But Plus, if you're medical, there is no tax. I love that. So you should just keep your card and their products. For example, they make a bunch of great products. They can't sell to an adult use user for, for no rational reason. Yeah. Well, I don't make those products, but they do. And it just, you know, it's really ridiculous. And, and anyone out there who ever wants to go to a legislature, what's up, Mike from Dime? Everyone anyone wants to run an initiative or push for a referendum or go to a legislature to advocate for 0% taxes for medical, you can count my voice in on well, that. Well, we're zero in Maryland. I know, yeah. and that's why I'm giving you guys kudos and shout out to whoever arranged that, because we have 16% uh, tax for adult use in, in Arizona, for example, but then everybody is faced with the same TPT of six to 9%. So that, that exists. You have zero taxes, zero, zero taxes? Zero, zero, zero. So for Maryland, I think Fantastic. it was important. Most states, when they go from medical to adult, you see the medical market kind of just completely diminish over a number of years. Like for instance, Nevada, it's only 7% of the total market. So for Maryland, the goal was they wanted to make sure that a medical market stayed right. intact. So by making it so attractive where, like literally your, your patient cards good for six years and it costs $25. Yeah. And you're saving 9% every time you make a purchase. It's, it's kind of a no-brainer. I'm going to call upon you guys to help me on this pursuit. And sometimes if we need to 
lobby some legislators to explain the importance of having 0% taxes and how life goes on. Well, if it's medicine, it's medicine. It's medicine, right. right. And, and there's no medicine tax in the United States that I'm aware of in right. any state. Right. So there's, we still live with the, with the uh, myths of the past. Yeah. in cannabis. But the, but the fuddy-duddies are going to fight us, continue to fight us on that one mm -hmm. as a way to punish the people, the success of cannabis. Great. We're not going to allow for that. So whatever you guys did in Maryland... Well, Maryland needs a strong medical market. Maryland is the home to NIH and the FDA and Johns Hopkins, and yeah. we have oh, a unique right. opportunity to advance the ball on, on medical cannabis issues. I would hate to see that be diluted. They're just like smarter people in Maryland. So what about, like, uh, what has Maryland done the way of, like, civil versus criminal sanctions for participating in, like, the, the black market, the gray market? Because that's a big theme that's out there. There's certain people that want more criminal sanctions, want deeper civil sanctions, and that determines. So the illicit market is, is um, enforcement is governed by an agency other than the one that oversees the lawful market. That What was the ATC? The Alcohol and Tobacco Commission has been renamed the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Cannabis Commission, and they're supposed to be a memorandum of understanding between the MCA and the ATCC. To my knowledge, that has not been finalized. So has not. Uh, I, I think that's a to be determined. And and will those people be put in jail or will they be, be uh, fined for like they say somebody's growing illegally and selling illegally? How's that going to work? I don't think that they're going to be going after minor possessions. I think that the ATCC will be going after fairly serious violations at a larger scale. And will, is there jail time still for that? I, well, it's still in the law. I don't know how they're enforcing the it, but it's still in the law. Uh, yeah, I don't yes. know the enforcement policy. Yeah, we had that big discussion debate in Arizona, and everybody wanted to maintain the criminal sanctions for commercial, illegal commercial activity, but decrim for minor possession and use. That's how it is in Maryland. Yeah, and uh, there are those who would argue that that just creates a drug war 2.0, prohibition 2.0, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But, you know, how do you get people to participate in any regulatory market. Exactly. I mean, is it okay to have a still in today's alcohol market? No, it isn't. It's you, illegal. You so, go to jail for that? Yeah, you know, if they catch you. Is that, is that a jailable offense? <laughs> yeah, yes, counselor? it is. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of anyone uh, been arrested for that, but I believe it is legal. It's, okay, well, this is this is not uh, qualified legal advice. What's the phrase? Disqualified. Right. All right. So you guys are fantastic. You guys are clearly deep, knowledgeable guys, deep in the, in the Maryland cannabis industry. So I wish your ventures the greatest thank success. Thank and you. thank you for giving our audience a little peek into Maryland. Uh, can people reach out to you uh, for, you know, connect? I know you're sure. busy. Yeah, they can so just go to our website, curiowellness.com, and there I am. Yes, and uh, what do they call it? Uh, what do they call it? Sowing, sowing the earth, tilling the earth? What is it? What do farmers do? <laughs> You're busy. I was trying to figure out the better form. Sorry, doesn't matter. So, what, how do people reach out to you? Yeah, same way. You can you can reach us through uh, our Instagram handles, summit.labs or summit.growers. Also, our website, summitgrowers.com. All our information is available there as well. And yourself? My law firm is Offit Kerman. So our vanity domain name is cannabisisok.com. <laughs> okay as in Offit Kerman, not okay as in mediocre. <laughs> Cannabis is okay. Well, you guys are, you guys, you guys have been fantastic, and I appreciate having the nice little philosophical discussion and getting all the little tidbits and information, nuances about Maryland. If obviously, if somebody wants to really do something, they're going to have to go much deeper than a 30-minute podcast. But at least it gives people an, an opportunity to connect a human with what they Google. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So thank you for being on Meet Unshackled and we look forward to seeing you in Maryland. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.